We should never take that for granted. And I believe every single one of us came this morning wanting to give something to God this morning. Perhaps you brought a praise offering this morning. Would you just right now all together give him that offering right now? Go ahead. He's worthy of praise. I'm telling you something. When we're in the presence of the Lord, things happen. It's an honor and it's a privilege to find ourselves in these places. I also want to say, I just see back there, it's an honor and privilege to have Lane Reasons with us today. And his wife, Rowena's here. God is good. I also want to tell this congregation, Terry Leverett, with the Jim Leverett's wife, went to have a scan on her. She has cancer, but not no anymore. They said that her cancer is gone. We give God praise. God does things. Praise the name of the Lord. And I just believe today something very special could happen for someone today. I just believe today somebody's whole life could be changed and turned around. I believe that in this room today is a place that you can find hope. Because the king is seated today. And the king still rules and he still reigns. And you know who's on his mind today? You. And God wants to speak to our hearts today. And I want to do, obey the Lord today and deliver a message he's put on my heart. And I am praying and I'm believing something special is going to happen for someone today. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to start in the book of Luke, chapter 23, one verse, verse 33. You can remain seated. I'm going to read this scripture to you. And it says, and when they had come to the place called Calvary. I want to say that one more time because I'm talking about something right here. When they come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right hand and the other on his left. Father, we come to you today in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And we do thank you for the privilege to be in your house today, Father, to be in your presence. I have an expectation in my heart today, God, Lord, of what you're wanting to do in the midst of your people today. I know how much you love us, Lord. I know what your desire is today, God, that all would come to know you. And I'm going to do my best today, God, to deliver what you put on my heart, to express to each and every one here today, God, that you love them and that today is the day. We give you praise for all your goodness and your kindness and your mercy, God, and we thank you. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen. Today, I want us to revisit this place called Calvary. What took place at Calvary is very significant to the cause of the gospel. You see, Calvary is history. The most dramatic moment ever to happen in history happened at this place called Calvary. I want you to know that Calvary is not a fantasy, it's not a dream, it's not an imagination, it's not a man-created fictional story, it's not a myth, nor is it a speculation. Church, Calvary really happened. Now, some have sought to deny the crucifixion of Christ at Calvary, and those who seek to deny Calvary seek to deny history. A few years ago, there was an elite group came up with a thing called the Jesus Seminar. The Jesus Seminar was an American group of about 150 people, and the seminar was very active through the 80s and the 90s, even to the 21st century. It's where these so-called smart professors 
the lead intellectuals of our society, from all the major secular universities, they met and they discussed the validity of Jesus. They were all from the esteemed colleges such as Harvard and Yale. And they met for a week of discussion and debate, and they came to this conclusion. They suggested that what we read in the Gospels were not real, that only 20% of what was written that Jesus said was true, and the other 80% was invented. They also sought to deny the very crucifixion of Christ. Well, for those who are doubters and skeptics and naysayers, they seek to deny Calvary. They seek to deny history. But I beg to differ. I'll say it again. Calvary really happened. Much like the cancel culture movement now, they want to cancel the significance of Calvary. But you cannot deny the history of Calvary. To deny the history is to deny all that God has done for humanity. Many try to deny Calvary. Yet who would deny the assassination of Abraham Lincoln? You can't. Why? Because the event was witnessed by many and was recorded in history. Although you and I didn't see this thing happen, it happened. Who would try to deny the assassination of JFK? You can't because it was witnessed and it was recorded in history. Who would deny the assassination of Martin Luther King? You can't because it was witnessed and it was recorded in history. Only a fool would try to deny history, something that has been witnessed by many and recorded to be true. So for the very same reasons, you cannot deny Calvary. It was witnessed by many and it was recorded to be true. There were people there that day. That place existed then and it still does today. It's a part of Israel's history. Anybody who would deny Calvary would be a fool to. The apostle said, we are to preach Christ crucified. Not only do we preach him crucified, he said we also preach him gloriously resurrected on a Sunday morning known as Easter. See, Calvary is history. But church is more than just history. Calvary is geography. According to Luke 23 and 33, as I read this morning, and when they were come to this place called Calvary, Calvary's a real place. It did and it still exists today. Luke, a journalistic historian, declares there was a place called Calvary. Calvary's not only a time in history, Calvary is also a place. And if you're to know Jesus, you need to know the places in which he went. They were significant. These places were also witnessed and recorded by witnesses. Every step that he took was ordained by God. He didn't travel anywhere by havistance. He traveled by divine guidance and direction and purpose. For God ordered his steps. Every step was a plan of God. You cannot deny the journey of his life. For the many places that he traveled, many faces witnessed his appearance, his teachings, and his miracles. And don't forget, it's recorded. Multitudes followed him. And that he spoke to the masses, often before thousands upon thousands of witnesses. Many scriptures speak of how it was noised abroad of him appearing in his departures, his miracles that he performed. Kings witnessed his presence. How can you believe history and the king of Herod but deny the history of Christ? When you think of Jesus, you might know of a place called Bethlehem. See, Bethlehem is a real place. Bethlehem has a history. And Christ is a part of its history. Bethlehem, the place where the infinite becomes an infant 
the Savior's birthplace, where he was robed in flesh and dwelt among us, according to John 1 and 14, where he was born of a virgin Mary, wrapped in swaddling clothes, born in a stable, placed in a manger, visited by the Magi, a place where omnipotence was cradled by human hands, where divine deity was nursed by a woman. See, in Bethlehem, heaven on earth had appeared. Jesus was born in this city called Bethlehem. You cannot know Jesus and not know Nazareth. Nazareth is a place that's a little backside of a Palestinian nation. The Romans called that city a fly on the back of Rome. But in that little town called Nazareth, Jesus showed up in a synagogue one day where they handled him a scroll, and he began to read the words of the prophet Isaiah. He read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them in a bruise, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Well, it was that same day that a woman who had an infirmity of 18 years walked down the aisle of that synagogue, being over by the infirmity. And Jesus said to her, Woman, thou art loosed. And immediately, as he commanded, she stood up straight and was completely healed by Jesus. It was witnessed, and it was recorded in history. It was Nazareth that he announced his Messiahship. You can't know Jesus without knowing the place called Canaan of Galilee, where Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding ceremony, where he turned the water into wine. You can't know Jesus, not know Bethany. Bethany is a real place where Jesus shows up and stands before the mouth of an open grave. Inside it was his friend Lazarus who lay dead and had been dead for four days. His friend had already been wrapped up in grave clothes. But Jesus hollers, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man Lazarus came walking out of the tomb alive. And as was commanded to do, this was witnessed by many. It was at this place in time and history where Jesus declared, I am the resurrection and the life. You can't know Jesus and not know of the Garden of Gethsemane. In that garden, he knelt and wept. And he prayed fervently till drops of blood literally poured out of his forehead while Peter, James, and John slept in his presence. That happened in that garden just days before his divine appointment with an old rugged cross at Calvary. It was in that garden where he surrendered his will to God's will for his life, the moment being witnessed by his disciples. And after much agony and fleshly sacrifice, Jesus cried out and he prayed, Father, not my will, but thy will be done, surrendering his will to God's will. And you can't know Jesus and not know of a place called Golgotha. Golgotha is a real place. It was known as a place of judgment, the place where Pontius Pilate said to the religious leaders after Jesus had been falsely accused, I find no fault in this man called Jesus. But Pilate succumbed to the religious pressure to sentence this innocent man named Jesus to death. The place where a vile murderer was released to live, and this righteous man, Jesus, a man without sin, was sentenced to die in his place. But of all these places in Jesus' life, there was no place like Calvary because it was at Calvary that Jesus, a man who never sinned, a man who had no guile in his mouth, an innocent man was beaten and mocked and crucified for the sins of all mankind. He was the only begotten Son of God. It was there that Jesus shed his precious blood to secure the promise that man could be redeemed, making way for whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It was here at this place in history that Jesus took on the sin of the world and paid for them with his blood, 
for my sins, for your sins. It was that place that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Many stood by that day, including his mother, and witnessed the agonizing torture of an innocent man who had been beaten beyond recognition, then led up this hill called Calvary, where they nailed his hands and feet to an old rugged cross, stood him up in the midst of his enemies, and then watched as the Roman soldier pierced his side, and as he bled and died of an agonizing death. A man who could have called 10,000 angels, who would have come and took him down off that old cross. But at this place called Calvary, it wasn't just any old man. It was Jesus, who was 100% man, but he's also 100% God. It was at this place in time and history as recorded that Jesus bore our sins and paid for them with his blood. At this place, redemption was made at Calvary, where the veil was rent in two, giving man direct access to God took place because of what Jesus done on that cross. Without the shedding of blood, there'd be no remission of sins. I'm telling you, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. You see, Calvary is history, but it's more than history. Calvary is geography, but it's more than just geography. Calvary is a possibility. Calvary opened a door to all of humanity to where no matter how far you've gone, no matter how far you've fallen, no matter how bad you've messed up in life, Calvary is a possibility for your life today. At Calvary, healing is possible. A miracle is possible. Deliverance is possible. Salvation is possible. Because at Calvary, he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Come on, somebody. Remembering Calvary ought to excite you today. With God, nothing's impossible. With God, all things are possible. See, sin restricts our life. Sin separates us from God. Sin brings forth death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Who has sinned? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all born into sin, all of humanity. But by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be redeemed because of what Jesus did at that place called Calvary. Because of who Jesus was, the Son of God, the way, the truth, and the life. The worst part of sin is it separates us from God. And being separated from God means we'll never be everything God intended for us to be. Because sin will restrict and prohibit God's plans for your life. But anyone who'll go to the cross will be forgiven. Not by the cross, but by the one who died on the cross at Calvary. Then every restriction is removed from your life. Behold, old things are passed away, all things become new. You're born again, spiritually speaking. You become a new creature in Christ. What took place at Calvary is God's possibility for all of mankind. It was recorded in history that day when Jesus was nailed to the cross. But also recorded was this, that there was another man on the cross on Jesus' right being crucified. And there was another man on Jesus' left being nailed to a cross also. These men were known as criminals. And after nailing Jesus to the cross, they raised him up in the midst of these two men. 
The Roman executioner anxiously waited to see what Jesus would say that day. The Roman executioner were professionals at executing people. They say when Rome was conquered, they literally crucified 6,000 men on crosses. The Romans knew how to crucify. The soldiers had seen thousands crucified and executed before them. They know how to minister pain and suffering. A crucifixion was designed to be painful and an agonizing death. When men were crucified, often they'd cry out and even curse their parents or the ones crucifying them, or even often at times they're false gods. So these men stood there, and they were anxious to hear what this Galilean would say. The one who claimed to be the Son of God, what would he cry out in his suffering? A man who wouldn't speak when being spoken to by his accusers. Now what would he have to say, they wondered anxiously. A man who took a beating beyond recognition, who would not say a word. But what would he say now? They drove nine-inch spikes in his hands and his feet. They placed a crown of thorns on his head, creating just as much pain as they could upon his body. And then a soldier stabbed Jesus in his side with a Roman sword. Gaul was shoved in his mouth out of spite. A defenseless death was at his doorstep. And they waited anxiously, attentively to hear, what would he cry out? For they knew he would eventually. They had heard him preach, love thy neighbor. They'd heard him preach, pray for those who despitefully use you. They heard him preach, pray for your enemies. They heard him preach, if he smites you on the right, give them the left one. But now what would he have to say in his suffering? Would he curse? Would he curse his father or his enemies? What will he say? So after they lifted his body upon that cross, they waited to hear him curse like all the others had before him. Expected to hear him curse the day he was born. Expected to hear him curse his enemy and even expected him to curse his God. But then it happened. He did cry out as they expected, but what he said was totally unexpected. He never cursed anything or anyone. It was nothing like they'd ever heard before. It was so astonishing to them. He cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I declare unto you, forgiveness of sin is a possibility at Calvary, regardless of what you've done. Christ was looking into the spiritual realm that day. He'd seen what was driving these men to crucify him. He'd seen the demonic foes that were behind them, encouraging them to do this to him. He believed that these men could see what what he saw, that they would have never done this to him. He hated the sin, but he loved the sinner. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. He died that day so that even the very ones who were crucifying him could be saved that they too would repent and believe in him as the Son of God. He died that day for whosoever will. He that knew no sin became sin so we might be made the righteous of God in him. The problem of the human race then and still today It's not politics and wealth and prosperity and racism and nationalism. The problem of the human race is sin and sin alone. But Jesus at Calvary made a way to solve the problem of the human race, a way to be forgiven of sin, to be reconciled back to God so that we may live a victorious life so that sin has no dominion over us, but we have dominion over sin. 
There is no sin more powerful than the cross. We're li we are living in a nation that must be reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ. It is the only hope for America. And people are looking everywhere for the answer. This is the answer. Jesus Christ. I want you to look at this other aspect of Calvary that day because it's relevant to you and me. While they were crucifying Jesus, an innocent man, they were also crucifying two thieves. They placed one on a cross on his left and one on a cross on his right. These were the two malefactors spoken of and recorded in Scripture. While Jesus was hanging on the cross, a conversation was taking place in the midst between these two thieves. The one thief was insulting and mocking Jesus, remarking, Aren't you the Christ? If so, save yourself and us. But it was the other thief who rebukes his mocking, saying, Don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence? He said, We're being punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. So we understand why the thieves were being crucified. But why was this innocent man named Jesus? Because it was God's perfect plan for his life. When the Romans would crucify criminals, they would place a sign above their heads, listing their charges. Above the head of the thief on the left, it said, thief. Above the head of the thief on the right, it said, thief. Yet above the head of Jesus was also a sign, but his wasn't a charge. It was an announcement. It was a declaration. It said, this is the king of the Jews. You see, he did not die a criminal. He died a king. And as much as they hated him, they could not deny him. See, Jesus himself was a sign unto all the world that he had come to seek and save that which was lost. He had come to die for the sins of the world, to reconcile men back to God. That he had come as prophesied. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I declare to you, he not only died a king, but he now lives as the king of kings. He now sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and me. He's our advocate with our heavenly Father. And I declare to you, we must let every nation know Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. Because if they don't know it today, they will know it someday. For every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, he's the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords. I'm telling you, there's going to be a day that the prime minister of every country will know, that the president of every nation will know, that the king of every kingdom will know that he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. Give him praise. The one thief said to Jesus, if you're who you say you are, get us down. The other thief says, are you crazy? You've lost your mind. We're in this place as condemned men. We are guilty. We deserve to die. We're, we are in the hands of justice, but this man has justice in his hands. Look above his cross. Read his sign. 
He says in three languages they wrote his announcement. It was written in Greek. It was written in Latin and Hebrew. Have you ever wondered why? I did. Could it be perhaps? Just philosophy I have. You see, the Greeks were known for their intelligence. The Latins were known for their military power. And the Hebrews were known for their religious authority. So perhaps they wrote it three times in three different languages. Perhaps in Greek to remind us intelligence can't save us. Perhaps in Latin to remind us military power can't save us. Perhaps in Hebrew to remind us religion cannot save us. Declaring that if a man is to be saved, he must be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other way. There's no other name given under heaven by which man must be saved. There's no other place than Calvary. There's no other time than today. Today is the day of salvation. There's no other method than repentance. There's no other gods than Jehovah God Almighty. Romans 10.9 declares that if we'll confess with our mouths and believe in our heart the Lord Jesus and that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So the one thief recognizes who Jesus is. He believes he is who he says he is. What's the result of his belief? The thief, the thief says to Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Jesus replies to, to his confession of belief. He tells him today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Why? Because he believed in who Jesus was. Jesus was telling this man, by you believing in me today, today when you die, you'll be with me. To every believer is the same promise. If you should die today, you will be with him today. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So how important was this place called Calvary? I'll tell you, no man has a future without Calvary. If Calvary is not history, we're all without hope. I declare to you, if you want hope, it's in Christ and Christ alone. You want a future? It's in Christ and Christ alone because of what he did at Calvary. The one thief was thinking later, but Jesus said today, let your future start today. Before you even leave this earth, before you even die, I'm speaking to someone, let it start today. It's too late after you die. The opportunity you have is today before you die. Your future is in Jesus. It's not in tomorrow. It's today. The greatest lie of your enemy is he tells you you got time. I hear so many say, well, I'm going to one of these days. And they'll say, well, when I get it all together, let me tell you something. You're never going to get it all together. Never. You got to come just as you are. God will clean you up. When he comes into your heart, do you realize what he does? He regenerates that old heart. It's like he reaches inside and grabs that old sinful heart of yours out of you, right out of your chest, and then he washes it with his blood making it white as snow. 
Old things are passed away. All things become new, making you a new creature. And then he justifies you as though you've never sinned. You are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, taking you through the process of being born again, spiritually speaking, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. When you make a public confession and receive him as your Savior today. I've come to tell someone your future in Jesus can start today. Jesus said these words to the thief, and about that time, darkness falls upon the earth. It was at that moment the whole earth became silent and stood still that day. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour of the day, darkness fell upon the earth. When the darkness appeared, Jesus says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Forgiveness comes on the scene at that hour. The plan of redemption is unveiled. The cost of sin is paid for at that hour. How? By the shedding of Christ's blood upon that cross. Not only is forgiveness found at Calvary, but your future starts at Calvary. Not only was Christ at Calvary, but God the Father was there. And at his worst moment on Calvary, Jesus took his pain and he put it in the hands of a righteous God when he said, I commit my spirit into your hands. He was saying, God, it's yours. Jesus gave his life away. As a good shepherd, he laid down his life for his sheep. Do you realize this morning that it had included each and every single one of you in this building this morning? That day, Jesus gave everything he had. He gave his bleeding brow to a crown of thorns. He gave his spotless hands and guiltless feet to the nine-inch spikes. He gave his back to a cross, his side to a spear, and his blood to the ground. And after he'd given all that he had, when all he had was left was his spirit, he gave it to God and said, it is finished. He refused to let his enemy take his spirit. No matter how bad your life is, folks, no matter how tragic or painful, do not let the enemy Take your spirit. Prepare your heart by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. By doing that, you secure your spirit. That when you die, it will go into the hands of a loving, righteous God. And not into the hands of your enemy by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Give your spirit into the hands of God in exchange for eternal life, not into the hands of the enemy in exchange for eternal death, into the hands of God where heaven is your home, not into the hands of your enemy where hell is your home. I'm telling you the truth today. Into the hands of God that when you leave this world in, in heaven, there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, but not into the hands of your enemy where there's a gnashing of teeth and an unquenchable fire and torment or for eternity in the torments of hell. Somebody's got to have the courage to tell you the truth today. There's a heaven, but there is also a hell. 
upon Jesus declaring it is finished, it's done, it's accomplished, the Bible says the earth quaked. The soldiers speared him, cried out, Surely this is the Son of God. And the veil in the temple separated mankind from the Holy of Holies was rent in two, giving man direct access to the throne room of God. To know where you no longer have to go to a priest and confess your sins. You can now come boldly before the throne room of grace. You can come to this altar today and you can confess your sins to the high priest Jesus, completing God's plan of salvation, which he instituted at Calvary. I'm going to ask my musicians if they would come at this time. Calvary is history. It was witnessed. It was recorded. Calvary is geography. It's the place where it all happened. And Calvary is where grace was birthed. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Today, if you're saved, these words ought to make you want to rejoice. If not, these words ought to make you want to start your future today with Jesus. They ought to make you believe Calvary is a possibility for you. How? By today, surrendering your life. Coming, doing what every believer in here has done at some point in their life. Surrender your life, your spirit over to a righteous God today. By believing that Jesus is the Son of God, by understanding it's for you, for whosoever, you've not done so much that God will not accept you. It begins by admitting that you are a sinner. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. By confessing your sins to God, not man, and asking him to come into your heart today, because I tell you, there is no promise of tomorrow. Today, you can get rid of all the delays, get rid of when I get it right. You, you don't clean a fish before you catch it. Quit believing I can't live it. Sure you can. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens thee, but you sure can't live it without him. Also, there are those perhaps this morning who got snared. Maybe you got caught up in the cares of life, who since knowing God have gone astray. I've come to tell you there's another opportunity today for you to come back. Because he says he's faithful and just to forgive you of all sin, cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I'd like for you to stand with me if you would. Every head bow and every eye closed, please. Let me speak to you for a moment. I want to speak to you out of love. With everything going on around us, none of us are exempt to the chaos. This world's out of control, but even yet, though, God is in control. You don't have to be a Christian to know things are not right. Things are looking bad in this world. And people are looking and seeking for answers. But there's such a rash of lying, and many are wondering what is truth. Today, I promise you, you've absolutely heard the absolute truth. 
We have but one hope in this world, one certain truth, and that is this. Jesus Christ is the way you should go. Jesus Christ is the truth you should believe. And Jesus Christ is the life that you should live. Everything else in life will just simply leave you empty. The Lord laid it on my heart this morning to simply tell you plainly that Jesus Christ loves you and he's your answer. You're searching, you're seeking in other places in life and nothing's happening for you. Today, that weight on your shoulders of all the stuff you've done, you think you've done so much, you've not done too much. God can't forgive you. He forgave me. I kind of feel like the Apostle Paul. I'm the chiefest of sinners. And today is your day that God can forever change your life. All you simply have to do is come and surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. Is there anybody here today who would say, I come just as I am. I want you to know that's how you come, just as you are. Don't come, well, I can't come right now because, I can't do this because. You can come today just like you are. And God will clean your heart up and help you clean your life up. The days are getting shorter. Jesus Christ is coming back. This old world's going to end. And today you should make the greatest decision of your life. And that is come and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. If you walked away from your life's not where it needs to be with Christ, then you need to walk down here again and say, God, I'm sorry, and God will renew your life. And you can get up and do it all again. So if there's one in here this morning that says, I'm ready to come just as I am and give my heart to Christ, would you come? You guys can go ahead and sing. If you're here and you're saying, Randy, done a lot so God can forgive a lot the hardest step is the first step you take towards this altar whether you're young or whether you're old God loved you enough today to speak to you and tell him that he loves you he loves you enough today to tell you there's a way back he loved you enough to tell you that he cares for you, that he'll forgive you. Is there one this morning? That tug, that pull you feel, it's the Holy Spirit encouraging you to come this morning. Just I am and waiting is there one to reign my soul of one we've all made that walk we've all come to this altar and said God I'm a sinner forgive me can you just got to make a decision. Each I'll not live another day as a sinner. I'll live as a child of God. It'll be the greatest decision of your life. I'm pleading. God's pleading. Would you come?
with every head bowed, I want to pray over you. Father, right now, I pray over the one. They're here. They've heard your word. I hope today, God, they'll take it to heart. I pray that I've planted a seed in someone's heart today. I pray that they'll pray that they'll remember these words. And they'll often be reminded by the Spirit that you love them and that you're for them, that you're pursuing them. And the only hope they're ever going to have in this world is giving their life to you. I pray over every person in this building. I pray for your blessings. I pray for your unmerited favor, God, to be upon your people. I thank you, God, for being here today. For your presence being here today, Lord. And we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Christ's holy name, we pray these things.